Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the College Age Movement Podcast. This week, we are starting a new series entitled Fruits. Um, it's based out of the book of Galatians. We're going to be talking about the fruits of the Spirit. A lot of us, if we grew up in church, we know uh, about this concept of fruits of the spirits. But a little bit of context here is this, is that the author is Paul. It's the Apostle Paul. It's written about 45 to 50 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus to a church in Galatia. And it, it's an incredible letter. Uh, It's one of my favorite books of the entire Bible. It's only six chapters long, but there's so much content. There's so much wisdom to be had um, from reading this book. So I'd really encourage you, if you have time, spend some some days, maybe a couple weeks, uh, just kind of siphoning through uh, the book of Galatians, and uh, you will not regret it. The whole idea of the letter is Paul trying to steer people away from from legalism, this, this religion that they knew, this control that they knew, and into a life that was submitted to Jesus. You see, the problem is that that religion often serves as a platform for people to make an attempt at, at controlling people. And, and Jesus wasn't about that, and Paul wasn't about that. And so Jesus came and he brought this in- entire new message, this this new covenant that we see in the New Testament. And Paul was taking that message and taking it to all these different churches around the world. And and what we, we have to understand is that religion by itself regularly calls for external change when Jesus is all about internal transformation. If you go to Faith Chapel here in Billings, uh, Nate always talks about that Jesus isn't about behavior modification. It's all about actual internal transformation, things that are happening at, at the foundational levels of our lives, not things that we can just kind of put on for show. And so the whole book of Galatians is Paul trying to walk this fine line of communicating freedom from the rule book and still communicating guardrails. These guardrails that would protect people from from living sinful lives, from pain in their own lives. Because as we look at it, the things that God asks of us, the things that Jesus asks of us are for our own benefit. It's not just so we are doing what he wants us to do because because just for the sake of doing them, it's it's because Jesus has these ideas and these principles that he's put in place because he knows that those are going to lead to the best possible lives for us and for the people around us too. That we, we have these guardrails in our lives that are put in place to protect ourselves, but also protect the people in our lives. So with that context in mind, this, this idea of this letter written to the church in Galatia over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about the fruits of the Spirit. And these are virtues that serve as a framework of Christian character. Some weeks we'll take one on, some weeks we'll tackle two. But we are going to look at these different uh, fruits of the Spirit and how we can look at maybe just some small parts and how they still practically apply to our lives today. So first, we'll look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26, and, and this is the passage that many of us have heard heard before. This is the, the, the passage that talks about the fruits of the Spirit, and it says this. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So this week, we're going to talk about two fruits, and we're going to talk about love and joy. And neither of these words are uncommon. In fact, when we hear them, each one of us would be able to associate something with them almost immediately. And yet, so many of us are living absent of these things in our lives, or we're watching other people live a life where love and joy do not seem to exist. So as is the case with every one of the fruits, we could probably do a sermon series series, excuse me, on each one. Uh, but I, I wanted to take a quick look into a part of each of these today. So let, let's look at love first. Love is this thing that dominates our world every day. It is a driving force behind decisions that we make 
constantly. We, we love our friends. We don't love our job. We love that girl. We love that boy. We don't love that guy anymore, whatever it may be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Love is hard to define because it has, it has so many different meanings and it works on so many different levels. But what I want to do is look at a couple different verses and just see how love is talked about. So John chapter 15, verse 12 is Jesus speaking. And he simply says this, he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So from this verse, it begs the question, how did how did Jesus love people? Because if we're to love as he loved, we have to explore exactly what he did to communicate that love. And there are many different ways over the three years of Jesus' ministries, there's so many different ways that he communicated love. But what I want to do today, just for the, for the sake of, of keeping our time uh Sure, is this is is just look at one thing, and it's found in Matthew chapter ten, verses twenty nine through thirty one, and it says this: It says, "Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You are worth more than many." Sparrows. So the first point today is this, is that Jesus communicated love by instilling worth, by instilling worth. It was Jesus's MO to go around and tell people whom culture had deemed unworthy how incredibly valuable they were, how much they were loved. He would go to the fringe and he would find people that culture had say like, no, you're not worth very much to us. It'd be the cripple, the orphan, the widow, all those different things. And if we look through scripture and we look at the stories of Jesus, he's always pulling those people up. He's healing people. He's speaking life. He's speaking value. And he wanted people to know on an inherent level that they were intrinsically valuable. And what's important for us to understand is that even though the life of Jesus, his physical life on earth was 2,000 years ago, he communicates that same message to us today. It is so easy for us to walk through our lives as individuals, as human beings, and think about all the reasons we don't deserve the good and why we do deserve the bad. Right? We're our own worst critics. We find every possible reason to, to list out all of the reasons we don't deserve the love of God and why we do deserve all of the hardship in our life. And, and God is constantly trying to speak a message of value into our lives, and we fight against that. Our humanity fights against that. Those that we want to call ourselves unvaluable. And Jesus is constantly saying, like, no, no, you are valuable. I did what I did because I, I see worth in you. You are absolutely intrinsically valuable. You have inherited, because you are a child of mine, worth. And we need to understand that. See, if we're going to truly step into the life that Jesus wants us to live, we have to understand our own value. We have to understand our own worth. There's this other story in the book of Matthew. There's this account where the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders at the time, they get mad at Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. But Jesus claps back and says, if one of your sheep fell down the well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you rescue it? Wouldn't you rescue it? If something that you knew was valuable, if it was an asset to you, something fell down a well, would you just leave it down there to die? Or would you rescue it on the Sabbath? Of course you'd rescue it. Of course you would. And Jesus is communicating a really simple but, but profound point that there isn't a day or time that the people that he loves, all of his children aren't worth saving. There's not a single day, there's not a single time that you and I are not worth saving. And there's somebody out there, and, and I'm in that group too, that needed to hear that. That there is not a time in your life, not in the failures, not in the successes, all of the different things, that there there is not a time that Jesus will not reach out and save us. That he has said, we are worthy every minute of every day, and that is why he does and did what he did. We have to be willing to, 
to understand that. You see, Jesus sees us in a way that nobody else sees us. And we have to stop seeing ourselves through culture's eyes or, or the people in our lives' eyes and start seeing ourselves through his eyes. Because if we can understand our own worth, then we are able to be used by Jesus in incredible ways. And one way is this, is that we get to communicate value to other people. So it's not just about him communicating this message of instilling worth to us, but also through us not just to us, but through us. It's hard to communicate value to others if you don't see value in yourself. That's just plain and simple. And it's really easy for us to look at the lives of the people in our lives or even people that we might not know. We see them through social media. We see them you know, across um, the city and we, we know who they are, but they don't know who we are, whatever it is. And we, we see people and we put these people on pedestals and we say, yeah, they're valuable. They're worthy. I can totally understand how God would love them, but I can't understand how God would love me. And like we said, it's it's in it's natural, it's in our humanity, but we have to fight against that because we cannot tell people that they are intrinsically valuable if we do not believe that we are intrinsically valuable ourselves. That if we're going to tell people that God loves them despite their brokenness, but don't believe it ourselves, and they're like, well, how come you don't believe that yourself? It's it's kind of counterintuitive, right? Like we have to be people who say, no, I know that God loves you because of all the things that you are and all the things that you're not. I know that. And you know how I know that? Because he loves me because of all the things that I am and all the things that I am not. That Jesus loves us. He instills worth. And it is our job as followers of Jesus to instill worth in other people. But we have to understand our value first. First, You see, we're called to be the hands, the feet, and the mouthpiece of Jesus, right? That we are to show people that they're value, valuable, that we are to tell people they are valuable. And we can't do that if we do not understand our worth. So let's be people who instill worth in other people and who accept the worth that Jesus has placed on our lives. There's another verse found in scripture that talks about love. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And you've probably heard this at a wedding. You've probably heard this um, if you've been around scripture at all. But it says this is, If I speak in the tongue of men or angels, but do, I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and I have all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So the next point today is this, is that love is not secondary. It is primary. Love is not secondary. Love is primary. Scripture centers itself on love. Well over 300 times love is mentioned in the Bible. There are some translations that would even mention it upwards of 500 times. This specific passage describes that love is absolutely, unequivocally foundational. Without love, everything becomes irrelevant. It doesn't matter how much you know or how much you do if it is not rooted in love for Christ or other people. It means nothing if there's not love at the base of what we're doing. The challenge to us as, as followers of Jesus, as human beings, is to frame our lives through that lens of love, that we would be people who are constantly asking ourselves a couple questions. One, am I doing this because I love Jesus? Whatever the interaction is, whatever the situation is, whatever the circumstance, am I doing it because I love Jesus? Or am I doing it because God has asked me to love these people? Right? Like the, the greatest call in our lives is to love God and love people. So everything should be framed around our love for God and our love for people. And that doesn't mean that we have to be crazy religious about it. It doesn't mean that when you're choosing lunch, you decide like, is, is me choosing Wendy's over McDonald's? Is that because I love God or I love people? Like, no, don't, don't get crazy. But, but still, when, when we're making decisions about our relationships, we're making decisions about our vocations or school or whatever it may be, that we would be people who are able to stop and think and frame our lives around, hey, is this something that Jesus wants me to do? Or is this something that communicates my love of the people that God has placed in my life? I stayed at a job for almost a decade that I really didn't love that much. Um, 
but I loved the people there. And every time, like every six months, I remember I hit my knees and I pray and I'd say, Hey Lord, I really don't want to be here anymore. And I never felt like he was asking me to leave that he'd always place people in my heart that I worked with that he's like, Hey, no, you still have relationship to build there. You still have love to give and you're still fine. Like you're financially secure, stay there, do what you're doing. And so I stayed at a job that I didn't love, but I, I got to be with people that I loved and I got to serve a God that I love. And there are so many times in my life where I haven't made that decision, where I've bailed early, where I've, I've tried to do something too quickly, or I've stayed too long after God has asked me to leave all those things. But that's one of the things that I felt like, okay, there's a reason that I'm here and I'm going to be, I'm going to be obedient. I'm not obedient to Jesus very often. This was one of the times that I could confidently say, no, I was obedient. I was obedient to what Jesus was asking me to do. See, there's going to be a thousand instances throughout our life that beg the question, why? Like, why are you staying? Why are you going? Why are you with him? Why are you with her? Why did you leave? Why did you, whatever it is, there's going to be a thousand whys every single day. And if our answer doesn't have something to do with our love for Jesus or something to do with our love for people, then we maybe need to reassess a little bit. We need to be able to confidently say, no, this is the best thing for the people around me. This is what God's asked me to do. I love Jesus. And even though this is going to be hard, he's asking me to do this. We need to be people who are willing to step into that type of lifestyle. So that's a snapshot of love, instilling worth in people, giving them value, understanding the worth that God has placed on us and understanding that as Jesus communicated value and worth, that is what we are called to do. And that we understand that it should be at the basis of everything to do, that we that it isn't secondary, that it's primary, that it's something in every decision, in every relationship, everything, we have to understand that loving God and love people are absolutely bedrock to everything that we do. So that's a snapshot of love. Now let's quickly look at this concept of joy. Joy is a word that that we all know. Most of us would associate it with happiness. When somebody is defined by being joyful, they're somebody who is just happy all of the time. And if we're honest, it's almost obnoxious in today's culture. Like if someone is overly happy, we're like, what's wrong with you? I, we live in a world of pessimists and I am one of them because there's a guy in my life um, and uh, he walks into every every room with the biggest smile on his face. Nothing is wrong ever. Um, he's just he's perfectly happy every single day of every moment of every single day. And I just look at him and I'm like, "There's no way. There's no way. Like that is fake." And I get annoyed. And that's that's on me, not him. Because one, he's just living his best life, and I need to get over it and let him live that life. And if that's how he he rolls, then that's how he rolls. So I need to get over it. But two. This isn't the type of joy that we're necessarily talking about. As we think about joyful people, as we think about this, just this simple concept of joy, we, we would think about this. It's this external thing. It's like, oh, I can see joy on your face. I can see like you're smiling all the time. Oh, you're laughing. You got that big boastful laugh. And what we understand is that in our humanity, there's often this, this perception of uh, joy that we use as a buffer to keep people from asking us like the hard questions. Because when somebody's sad, like you want to dig in, but when somebody's happy, you're just like, oh, they're happy. And you don't really ask them any hard questions. So it's not about the external joy, but this is about something completely different. When it comes down to this virtue, I just want to talk about one thing. And it is this, is that joy is eternal confidence, no matter the momentary circumstance. Joy is eternal confidence, no matter the momentary circumstance. It's not just a feeling. It's not just the smiles and giggles. It's directly related to our internal confidence that we have in Jesus, that what we are putting our faith in 
brings us so much confidence, and we have an, an, an eternal joy in the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. You see, too often we associate whether or not we can be joyful because of our current situation, but but Scripture tells us something completely different. While, while there are Scripture upon Scripture upon Scripture that says, rejoice and be glad, the Lord is good, all of those things, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. 100% true. Party it up. Be happy. When, the, when you have successes, rejoice and praise and glorify God. But there are also scriptures throughout the Bible that would say some other things. And and here's a couple. Psalm chapter 94 verse 19 says, When anxiety is great within me, your consolation brings me joy. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 18 says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, or the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Though you have not seen him, First Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you're filled with inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, it's saying, it's saying this, it's saying, despite life not going the way that you expected it to, despite life being something different, you can still have joy because it's not about temporary joy. It's not about the momentary circumstances, but it's about having eternal confidence. The joy creates this eternal confidence no matter what's happening in our lives at the present moment. You see, there, there's this huge correlation between confidence and faith and joy. You see, faith is confidence and confidence produces joy and joy is faith and, and all these things. And it's this circular thing where if we have faith and we have confidence and we have joy, we will see something incredible happen in our lives, not just externally, not just the smiles and the laughs and all those things, but something eternally transformational for the rest of our lives. There's a pastor named Rick Warren who I absolutely love, and he has this quote about joy, and he says this. This is how he would define joy. He says, Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every single situation. Settled assurance. Joy is the settled assurance that there is a settling about our spirit, that this internal thing, we, we are settled because we have joy in the Lord. We are glorifying him and we are praising him in every situation because we know God is who he said he is. See, at the beginning, we talked about that, that Jesus isn't looking for just outside change in behavior, but internal transformation. And that's what this is all about. But when internal transformation is happening, it's important that we understand something, that with internal transformation, our eternal confidence is growing. And as our eternal confidence is growing, you can't help but show that externally. So we have internal transformation that leads to exter- that leads to eternal confidence, and that starts to show itself externally. And when that happens, people are going to start asking questions. Oh, hey, I have eternal confidence in who Jesus is. And, and, and externally, we start to see, maybe it is expressed through, through laughing and smiles and all those things, or maybe it's that rested assurance. Maybe people are saying, hey, that, that guy's not shaken. That girl's not shaken. No matter the circumstances, man, they, they feel like they have settled assurance and whatever it is that they believe, I want to know what it is that they believe. And that's where we get the opportunity to introduce people to the Jesus that we love and the Jesus that we follow and the Jesus that we have eternal confidence in. I want to end with this, is, is this, this concept of joy it's really important that we understand that joy is a response to the goodness of God. Joy is how we glorify God. Joy, this this eternal confidence, this settled assurance, when we are assured of who Jesus is and we have confidence in who Jesus is and what he's doing in our lives, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, when we do that and we say, no, I'm confident in Jesus, we are glorifying him. 
When people see our settled assurance in who Jesus is, we are glorifying him. And I don't know about you, but I want to be somebody who glorifies Jesus with as much of my life as I possibly can. And I'm sure that you are too, that Jesus would say, hey, I see that joy. I see that love. I see those fruits. Man, they're bearing new fruit. They're, they're planting seeds, and, and through their love and through their joy, they are causing love and joy in the lives of the people around them. So as we walk through this over the next several weeks, my prayer is that you would dive into the book of Galatians, that you would look at all of these different things that Paul is saying to the church in Galatia, but you would focus here on, on these fruits of the Spirit, because this is what I, I know for sure, is that if I can settle myself and I can say, hey, these are pillars of my life, these fruits of the Spirit are pillars of my life, I'm going to be a lot closer to who Jesus wants to be me to be. I'm going to be a lot closer to the life that he wants me to live. Hey, thank you again for tuning in. And uh, I hope that you got something out of today's podcast. If you are in Billings, we always want to extend the invite. Tuesday nights, seven o'clock here at Faith Chapel. We would love for you to come jump in, be a part of the community. If you're around the state or somewhere else in the country and you're listening to this, thanks for tuning in. We love you too. And we hope to get to meet you very soon. We'll talk to you guys later.